Welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, and Chris Snee called me fat yesterday. You're really in your feelings about this, aren't you? I went home, and I went for a long walk, got my 10,000 steps in, and then I did yoga as well yesterday after. I'm, I'm just trying to save you from becoming me. In all fairness, you didn't say fat. I think you said that I'm letting myself go, quote-unquote. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's what it was. And I don't think it was wrong. So, anyways, you guys aren't here to talk about, or hear about us talk about my body image issues, um, or my my slowly growing uh, pot belly. You're here to listen about Florida State football, and that's what we're here to talk about. Spring has sprung. Spring practice began on Monday. Chris and I were both there for the entirety of it. And uh, we have thoughts. I know we've detailed some in, in practice observations and have written some stuff on it, but uh, this is a chance for us to kind of explain more in more depth, I guess, what we saw and general impressions of day one of spring spring practice. And, and start off here, Chris, a very, very different vibe, vibe than, than last spring, the first one. I remember that. It was just very uh, – the music was going. They were screaming about tempo and pace. And this was much more business-like, and, and that was my impression. Yeah. I mean, the music was not there. You didn't hear it outside of water breaks and a couple other select moments. They also did the fight song when they were doing stretching at the end. So that was the first thing you kind of noticed that uh, just stands out. You know, you didn't have the audible sound constantly. Um, it was different with Coach Braz, Coach Clements, Coach Dugans, their first days out there with Coach Clements. It was very much him kind of installing how he wants to run a practice and then telling the guys regularly, we're going to do this in a quarter amount of the time it just took us to do it. With Coach Braz, it seemed like a majority of the time I watched him that he was just an observer more so than anything. He was involved. But a lot of times it looked like he was just kind of taking it in more so than anything. It didn't seem like it was a heavy trying to install, trying to get after guys. It was more kind of letting them go through what I presume a script was and seeing how it played out. Mm-hmm. And then with Coach Dugans, who's very hands-on, very much a demonstrator of what he wanted his guys to do, he also got on his guys. He looks comfortable in that role. It's very simple for him. But, yeah, it was very businesslike. You can tell that it's a team that understands – kind of the environment they're living in at this point coming off a of five and seven season. And they were just, you know, going about their work. And it was, you know, there wasn't a lot of dead time. There wasn't a lot of wasted time. There wasn't a lot of install type of feel to it. It was very much just let's get out there, get our reps, do what we're trying to do, work together. You know, with the O-line, it was new units working together. With the D-line, it was all of them working with Coach Hagan's. With the DBs, there were some different looks back there with, like, Jaden Lars would be working back there, Levante Taylor doing safety work. Um, with linebacker, Hampson Nazardine joined them working at Star. So that, there was some different looks and different feels. But, yeah, it was it was just different, and, and that's always going to be the case. The first one last year was all new. It was exciting. It was, you know, it was a drastic removal from what we were used to with the previous regime. This one was a little bit of an alteration of the current regime with some different faces and places. And kind of fits into what Coach Taggart, Coach Willie Taggart has talked about this offseason and in the few media availabilities he has had. He's been much more selective, I think, with who he's spoken to, but it has been about business and, and understanding the perception of the program right now and, and kind of needing to tighten things up. I mean, even when it comes to like the media access that we're going to have a lot of the spring practices were open, at least portions of it last year, this year, I think maybe five out of 15, six out of 15, we'll have some sort of viewing session for media. They're the first two open to fans and, and anyone general viewing uh, this year, like they're go like they did last year as well. But um, it's much more kind of buttoned up and, and hunkered down a little bit. And I think that's a direct reflection of going five and seven last season and understanding that, that you, know, you want to have these things where you're we're having fun and, and 
being loose and, and free, well, that, that comes at showing that you deserve it. And I think that's what Ta- Willie Taggart's trying to, to accomplish. But, but anyways, that's big picture. Let's go down list by list, position by position of what we saw. I think that's what the people want to hear. Uh, the caveat is it's day one of spring. There's no pads. Uh, remember, anytime we do a practice report, when someone does something well, that means someone else on the same team, because it's practice, did something poorly. So uh, let's start off with quarterback and, and James Blackman. Uh, Chris, your initial impressions of, of what you saw from him. He's quarterback long, clearly. We chatted with James before practice began. It's clear that he's comfortable in the role that he has assumed. It also is clear that he hasn't gotten lazy with the fact that it's not much of a competition. He's driven by himself, and he's good at handling that. I thought the practice itself, he did very well overall. He had a couple bad throws. He had a little bit of a bad stretch, but he bounced back and got out of that rut, which was good to see. That's sometimes something that kind of gets him off track last year. He didn't do that. For sure. But I thought all in all he had a good day, and it's very clear cut that he is by far the best option at quarterback on this team. Well, (laughs) we'll get to that. That may not be a a great thing uh, because there's such a wide discrepancy, and and that's – Alarming. I think that's cause for concern. Those were that was something that you and I were curious to see going into the first day of spring, uh, and there's clearly a drop off. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But but to go off your point on on James Blackman, I thought that was the cool thing about yesterday was you know he had a couple bad passes in a row. Uh, there was a, a pass breakup that Julian McCray almost got an interception, and then on the very next play, Stanford Samuels actually picks it off. This was during seven on seven. Uh, and you could see even leading up to that, James Blackman went from being really sharp to starting to force things and maybe even a little fatigue from throwing the ball that much in a row. Uh, they go ahead, give him a break. You know, let the backups go in and, and go against the twos in seven-on-seven, seven, and then they, they let Blackman back in, and, and his next couple passes are really crisp, safe throws where only his guy can get it. That's encouraging because that was the thing that I think really, really set him back last year, especially in camp, was the quicksand. You know, Once you kind of fall into it and start struggling and start kicking and fighting and trying to get out of it, uh, you become, you start drowning in it in your own mistakes. And that was something that hurt James Blackman as a true freshman when he played, which was understandable. And that was something that I think put him behind the eight ball last year when he was competing with DeAndre Francois and, and Bailey Hockman. So so now for him to be the only guy, when something went bad, he, he responded. Again, one day, one practice, one sequence. Uh, but if you're looking for growth to fix things that, that were preventing James Blackman from being the starting quarterback last year, uh, that's a sign of improvement. Uh, let's get to the backup quarterbacks. Yeah, Jordan Travis had a pretty miserable day. Now, I don't want to be rough on a kid. It's his first time out there with a new team. Probably has butterflies flying all around that stomach. He's uncomfortable in a system that he has very little nuance with. He didn't work in it last year. So it was all new to him. But he didn't have a good day. The wind kind of hurt him as far as throwing the ball. It battled a lot of balls that he came out of his hand with. And then Nolan Smith had a good day, had a McDonald's. few throws Nolan, that actually. Did you call him Nolan Smith another time? I did. Nolan Who's Nolan Smith? A former Duke basketball player. You know me. I always have hoops on the brain. I, I do that with Kermit. With Nolan McDonald. Excuse me. Okay. Sorry about that. Nolan McDonald had a decent day, had a couple really good throws. And, uh, you know, with him, it's an athletic game more than anything. It's not him dropping back 30 times and let it fly. He can make a throw here and there, but he's going to make more things happen because he's a very athletic person. Yeah, that, that's his game is going to be more the – the ad-libbing, freelancing, and, and being athletic, being able to make throws because he's moving outside the pocket. He did have some really nice sharp throws too, but it was just very uh, inconsistent, I guess is, is how I would describe Nolan McDonald's day. You can see some some arm talent there, but then you see he's just way off on a pass and he'll be you know five yards behind a guy. Uh, to your point on Jordan Travis, yeah, man. Um, Jordan Travis is a guy whose name I always mess up when I'm writing about. It's either Travis Benjamin or Travis Rudolph or – 
I don't know why, all kind of same area. But anyways. I'll just talk about Jordan Travis. You just talk about Nolan McDonald. That way we never mess it up. Don't you mean Nolan Smith? Nope. Um, yeah, it was day one. I meant one. what I said, and I said what I meant. <laughs> it was day one. It was windy, uh, but the other quarterbacks didn't have an issue pressing the ball through the wind. And, and Jordan Travis had a couple issues with – you know, when he was trying to push the ball downfield, I mean, you could see it would just get caught in the wind and start sputtering. Uh, he was able to push the ball downfield in high school. You could see he made some 60-yard passes, like right on the money. Um, but the ability to have a lot of velocity on his throws is something that I wasn't sure if he had or not from just the highlight tapes, which that I think is worth monitoring moving forward is whether he has the velocity to make a lot of the big-time college throws. Again, it was the first day, man, but uh, – I don't know. I don't know how that changes. Do you, you know what I mean? I don't know if that changes uh, I, from one I, day to the yeah, next. Whether you I, have that or not. I think it's like a pitcher hitting the mound. Some days you got it, and some days days you don't. And I'm wondering if Jordan Travis yesterday was a day where he just didn't have it. It just didn't click for him. He didn't get in rhythm. He didn't get comfortable. And if that's what caused it, or is this who he is? That's mm-hmm. what we'll have to determine. But I don't like making a grandiose statement about a guy off of essentially two and a half hours. A fairly small sample size. Right. Yeah. No, let's let's write him off already. How about that? No, I'm not about that. <laughs> no, but but it is something that we want to monitor, and I think you, you got to pay attention to the rest of spring practice whenever we're out there and he's throwing the football. Is, is What does he have behind his throws? Yeah, and to transition to running backs a bit, one of the most interesting things to me on day one was some of the lineups we saw in the backfield. We saw a couple of split back situations where they had an inside slot receiver back there. Specifically, I saw DJ Matthews back there one time with Anthony Grant in a split back situation. Treshawn Harrison did the same thing. Yeah. Or no, I'm sorry, um, Keyshawn Helton. Yeah, uh, that's something that uh, Kendall Browse likes to do. He likes having his inside receivers sometimes work in the backfield as an offensive player who can catch it, who can run it, who can come in you know, jet sweep style, different things that they can do with that position. So that's an intriguing part of the offense. That's kind of a new wrinkle that they put in. As far as the actual, like, true backs, you know, we had the four out there. Deontay Sheffield has moved back to that position. I think that's just reliable depth. Uh, Kalen LeBourne was out there, had a large knee brace on, but he was moving around, doing a lot of things, looked good, looked healthy, had a big smile on his face. He's a guy that's put in a heck of a lot of work to get back to the point where he can play, where he can contribute. He looked like a million bucks, man. He looked good. Yeah, I think he'll be held back to some degree in the spring. But physically, like, you could tell he's been working out and and taking this rehab. And he's certainly a guy that is engaged with making a return. Mm -hmm. He is fully committed to doing what he needs to do to be in position to play when the lights come on in the fall. And then uh, Cam Akers looked like a million bucks physically. That was he looks, my line. I said million bucks. You Don't said steal my bucks. cliche. Yeah. Really? I didn't see that. Come up but with your own. Akers physically, tip. he's always been a guy that's been in great shape, but he's in tip-top shape. He's in phenomenal shape. He looks a little bit leaner to me, and he just looked really comfortable running the ball. He's dealing with no ankles, no knees, no issues of those sorts right now, which is a good thing. He tends to deal with some minor ailments, and they tend to slow him down. And then Anthony Grant, you know, he's a guy that in practice last year regularly flashed. He got very few opportunities in games. We shall see if that comes about this year. But he definitely looks like a guy that's primed to be a key contributor as I think they use a heavy three-back system with Akers being the lead back. Yeah, and, and the depth there I think is the main thing to focus on this spring and, and how they try to keep guys fresh because they don't have a ton of running backs. Uh, like you mentioned, Chris, finding ways to get those slot receiver types, more touches in the backfield or as part of like an extended running game. Looks like something that, that we'll see. But, but, yeah, I mean, it's tough to tell too much from running backs. There's no contact the first day. They're just in, you know, shorts and jerseys and helmets, no shoulder pads or you know, half shells or shells or whatever. Um, yeah, Laybourne looking like he's taking this process seriously. And I think what's cool about that man is that um, this is a guy who was frustrated and, and redshirted his freshman year, had high expectations going into the redshirt freshman season, 
gets one touch in that first game but makes it count and then gets hurt in the second game. Um, for him to not check out and not pout and, and instead look like he's working hard to rehab and take that seriously, I, that shows a lot about where his mindset's at. And, and frankly, Florida State's going to need him to have a really nice season because the running back depth isn't really there. They're not going to bring in a whole lot of reinforcements. So you're going to need him to be a big factor along with Cam Akers and Anthony Grant. Moving on to wide receiver, uh, Tamarian Terry still Tamarian Terry, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's – Yeah, uh, he was unbelievable on the day. He, he's just a guy that all he does is make plays, and he looks so comfortable. He – you know, him and Blackman just have something, and they always have. That's been true in practice dating back to last year where they just have a connection, and it's clear as day when they're out there running together. And uh, beyond him at the wide receiver position, truthfully, the biggest thing I took note of was Cam McDonald. Got a lot of burn over there. He was kind of splitting duties between tight end and receiver, but it's clear that they intend to use him as mm-hmm. a mismatched big receiver, which is what he's built to be. Um, the group as a whole is solid. You know, DJ's in good shape. Keyshawn Hilton's in good shape. Treshawn Harrison looks prepared. Jordan Young is healthy. He's a guy who I think is going to try to work to kind of prepare himself to show some flashes and have a breakout to some degree. Um, that's a position where they have plenty of depth, plenty of ability, plenty of talent. They need some guys like a Keith Gavin and those types of the veteran sort to kind of give them some leadership to some degree. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think that's group, that group is going to be led by the Terrys, the Heltons, um, as far as leadership on and off the field. I think Terry, Helton are probably the two guys that are going to be the lean-on type guys. And then from a pure talent standpoint, I think DJ Matthews adds a lot on the field. I think he has some maturing to do off the field with how he conducts himself around the team that they would like to see. That if he's able to break through that wall, he brings a ton to the table. And Keyshawn Helton's the other guy who I thought, yeah, outside of Terry was, and you mentioned him, Chris, that's the guy who I thought had a really nice first day of practice. Um, Looked very polished in running routes, uh, was assertive in going and getting the ball. Uh, He... He's someone I think that, that what we saw towards the end of last season with him in the second half of last year is not a fluke. Uh, he very much so looks like someone who belongs at the Power 5 level. I know he's not the biggest guy out there, but he looks like he's bulked up a little bit. Uh, and it looks like someone who's going to be a, a polished slot receiver type that you can create mismatches for because he's athletic, because he's quick, because he's really fluid in, in space and understands uh, zone coverage concepts and kind of sit down. Like He seems like he has a lot going on for him. I don't want to overhype him too much. He's someone that got a lot of buzz in fall camp last year, and it took a little while to see him on the field. But clearly there's a lot of potential there for what he can be. And, you know, between him and DJ Matthews, yeah, you have two guys who are very athletic and very explosive in the slot. James Blackman obviously really likes DJ Matthews. Those are, you know, those are two buddies. Uh, And he was comfortable pushing the ball downfield to DJ a few times. DJ needs to get more consistent going up for the ball. He tried one time to go up one-handed and just could have used two and caught it and said it's an incompletion. Um, but but that's clearly going to be the strength, I think, of the, the offense this year is you have Terry deep and you have two really good slot receivers. Outside of those guys, um, I didn't see a whole lot for Treshawn Harrison yesterday. I'm trying to think. Warren Thompson had a couple of really nice plays. Where yeah, you see, he turned in one of the better highlights of the entire day, Warren yeah. Thompson did. Yeah, and he's, he's someone that I think uh, the staff believes is the most talented wide receiver they brought in this past recruiting cycle, or last recruiting cycle, I should say. Uh, but has a lot of you know maturing as a as a player to do in just terms of understanding routes and concepts yeah. and stuff like that. But the physical he, tools you can see. Warren was a guy who was very frustrated last season, in part because he redshirted, but also because in the little bit of limited availability he had on the field, he did not do a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And it was clear in practices late in the season that there was a healthy amount of frustration built up in him. 
the good thing about yesterday is he didn't look like a guy that was frustrated. He looked like a guy that was ready to play, ready to do it, ready to contribute. He looked like a guy that kind of has hit it off with Ron Dugans and enjoys working with him. And I think that's a very good thing for FSU. It gives them another possibility on the outside of a really talented, versatile, uh, mismatched type of guy, which is – I think FSU's offense, its strength is going to be the ability to create some mismatches, especially on the fringes and in space. And they have a lot of personnel that should allow them to do that. We thought that would be the case last year too. Uh, obviously, it's all contingent on the offensive line. Real quick before Ooh. we get to the look, real quick before we get there, tight ends. Real quick, didn't see a whole lot from Trey McKitty today, but he's clearly the number one. Gabe Neighbors number two. Uh, those guys are gonna be solid and involved yeah, in the offense. And Cam's Cam Mc- right there as a receiving type, mm-hmm. but as we said, he's working some with receivers too. That's Cam McDonald. Um, uh, yeah, Cam McDonald. Yeah. Cam McDonald's a really nice receiving guy. He's very fluid for as long of a frame as he has. He gets mm-hmm. down the field very well and he catches it well. So. Yeah, he'll bring something to the team. But Trey McKitty definitely looks like the guy who's prepared to own his spot. Like, he, he looks like he's put in the effort in the offseason to elevate his game. Now, it'll be interesting how tight ends are going to be used in yeah. a Kendall Brown's offense. That's something that, truthfully, we don't really know at this point beyond what we can see from past video of what Kendall has done at other jobs. But, but he kind of adopted some guys that are a little different than what I think he's had in the past to some degree. He's shown the ability – Again, stuff I feel like we've said last year, too, with the Gulf Coast offense. But but Browse has shown the ability to adapt. But we saw uh, at Baylor – or, I'm sorry, at Houston last year, I think he had a tight end that had about 400 receiving yards. At FAU, they had two tight ends that each had about 300 receiving yards apiece. I can't think of the names right now off the top of my head. But it's a part of his offense. He seems like he's very content in, in finding, you know, those, those big flex tight end types to create mismatches in the slot and – FSU has a couple of those type of type of guys that they can certainly utilize. So yeah, it remains to be seen exactly how big of a factor they are. But based on history, like the tight end will factor into to the passing game. Yeah, with the offensive line, that was for me the moment when you walk into practice. And if you're trying to be overly optimistic or you're trying to jump on a hype train, you, you got to check it at the door. We walked out there, and the first group of the offensive line was Jawan Williams, Landon Dickerson. Those are your two offensive tackles. Mike Arnold and Brady Scott, those are your two offensive guards. And Bavion Johnson at center. Uh, Bavion worked at center on the day. Andrew Baselli worked at center on the day. Christian Meadows worked at center on the day. All three of them had some snapping issues to different levels. I thought Bavion was the best at a bunch on the day as far as snapping the football. Uh, you know, you look at those two tackles, you got Landon, who health-wise is always the biggest question with him. He had the left ankle pretty heavily wrapped, but he was moving around well and he looked healthy. But, you know, you look at the ankle and it's it's taped differently than anybody else among that group. So it's kind of the, the friendly reminder of this guy's been somewhat made of glass during his career and disappointingly been limited to very few games of being able to be out there. With Mike Arnold, it's still the same with Mike Arnold. It's, you know consistency is just a non-existent factor with that young man. Even in drills, when he's supposed to be showing his teammate a good look with the bag, giving him a good bag to block on, to drive, he does a half-assed job of doing it. And it's the same issue we saw from him a year ago. Mm-hmm. At some point, I, I think Mike's like 23 or 24 years old. He's no youngin'. He's an older guy among this team. At some point, it needs to click with him that you know practice matters and it translates to the game. And For me, that's something that I was constantly disappointed with from him last year, and I saw flashes of it yesterday, which disappointed. As far as them working with Randy Clements, new offensive line coach, as I mentioned earlier, 
he kind of was doing a lot of install and a lot of this is how we're going to go about doing practice, you know, working on keeping our bodies down and going under canopies, working on our steps and movements, working on striking the bag, working on one man sled or one man working on a sled and driving the sled. And they did a lot of that, but it was in like quarter time. He was telling them that, you know, hey, as we keep doing this, we're going to do this drill in one quarter of the time we just did it in. So that was clear that, that you know, he wasn't preaching tempo so much as we're just going to do things much quicker. But, uh, you know, Clements was interesting. He wasn't much of a yeller. He uh, didn't stop reps a lot and kind of teach. He more spoke and taught as guys were doing reps and explained to guys, hey, you just saw your teammate do that rep. He did it correctly. Why did you do it incorrectly? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Andrew Baselli was an example where he did a rep incorrectly. And he said, Andrew, 83 guys just did that rep. Why didn't you do it right? You know, and that was kind of his thing was he he reinforced it in that way. But it was an interesting dynamic watching those groups work together. Um, but, yeah, it uh, the offensive line just makes you check optimism at the door. There's still a lot of holes there. There's some stuff I think they hope to fix via the um, transfer market, uh, you know, the portal, transfer portal. A guy like R.J. Proctor, obviously, is someone. Ryan Roberts, who's already committed to FSU as an guy, I think those are two that are potential plug-and-play types that may help them fix some of those issues they have up front. And then you got some young guys in there. Jay Williams looked like a guy that has a lot of work to do, especially mm-hmm. from technique standpoint. Truthfully, that was no surprise to me. Watching video of Jay at the junior college level, his technique left a lot to be desired, and that kind of translated to what I saw in the brief glimpse of seeing him yesterday. Dante Lucas definitely has strength and can go against guys, go toe-to-toe. Dante Lucas is certainly a guy that his future appears to be very bright for FSU. I just don't know that he's ready for showtime walking through the door. But let's be honest, very few offensive linemen in the country ever are. So that's no knock on Dante. I just think there's a little bit of a grooming process that will have to happen there with him. There there was a cool moment with Dante Lucas, and and you did a good job recapping the offensive line, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on it. You love love talking about the big guys because you're a big guy at heart and at gut. Oh, (laughs) sorry. It's okay. I made a fat joke. I know. I was, I was, I was waiting for, I was laying, laying in the grass and waiting uh, for my time to strike. Um, there was a, uh, it was a sequence. I'm sure it, w- it was an interception during 11 on 11. So team drills, there was a, there was an interception and, uh, and an FSU defender. I can't remember who was returning it essentially for what would have been a touchdown. And Dante Lucas comes out of nowhere, hustles. It doesn't get there, but he was the only guy chasing and pursuing to make the, uh, with that second team offensive line, to try to stop the, the defender from returning it for a touchdown. I, I thought that was something that was telling because the staff likes Dante Lucas, his personality. Uh, they know he has work to do in, in getting his body right and, and obviously cleaning up technique. But you know, for someone who's, whose game is predicated on not only being big and, and strong and powerful but, but mean, uh, you want to see someone who's hustle and who cares about the result of even a small play like that. Uh, yeah. So th- that was – that was, I thought, telling of, of who he is and kind of his makeup. Obviously, it's a very small moment, but but that stood out to me yesterday. To Dante's credit, if you took a picture of him from 12 months ago and compared it to yesterday, yeah. he's made a huge transformation. He's invested. He's working hard at it. He spoke about that when he came for his official visit in December, that he's going to keep working at it. He understands where he needs to improve as a individual, as a physical being, and he's working pretty hard at it. So I, I think he is a guy that will break through as the season progresses. I don't know if he's a day one type of guy for FSU when they roll out there in Jacksonville against Boise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it'll take a little while for him, but he seems like someone that they're going to rely on to at least you know, provide depth this season and, and clearly has the, the mindset to do so. So um, Chris is making fun of my headlines right now. 
People hate your headlines, so no, I'm sorry. I'm I shouldn't here for be you. allowed to do headlines. I thought I, I think the word hopeful was pretty clear in that one. Yeah, but. well, I, I changed that for you. I'm here with the curveball to keep it clean, get to the point, be concise. Do you want me to take D-line, too? Because you know how I love big boys. Yeah, do it. Uh, Odell Higgins is now your full defensive line coach, which was officially confirmed by Willie Taggart yesterday, something that recruits and some players such as Robert Cooper had mentioned during the uh, lead-up to spring practice. Uh, it's not much different. The dynamic is truthfully fairly similar to what it was last year. When they went and when they worked together, Odell was kind of the alpha of that with Mark Snyder there contributing. This year, you just kind of you take Snyder out of the equation except for the speed rush end side where he's working with the linebackers. And uh, this will transition to another point of FSU doing some 3-4 looks. But as far as the defensive line group, it's clear that Marvin Wilson's, uh, you know, King Kong of that bunch. He's there to be the trench monster. Uh, Robert Cooper, it's noticeable that he has cut some weight. Clearly still has more to go. Corey Durden looked like a guy that's ready to go. Cedric Wood did not look like a guy that was ready to go. And the depth of the interior has some work to do. Malcolm Lamar has to come along. Jamarcus Chapman has to come along. They need another guy or two to emerge, so they have healthy depth there. Mm -hmm. Jalen Parks was not available. He's still coming off, I believe, an ankle injury that I believe he had surgery on since the season ended. So he was not participating. On the end, you know, it's the search for replacing of Brian Burns, which we both believe, I think, that it won't be a singular player. It will be a group effort. Yesterday we saw a good amount of Kando, a good amount of Dennis Brace, a good amount of Janarius Robinson. Those are kind of your main three. Xavier Peters would have a good moment, and then he'd do something that would cause Odell to yell at him and tell him he's going to have to do 50 up-downs, such as jumping before the ball was snapped and they're working on the bags and Odell kicks him out of drill because he's unhappy with it. So, again, maturity matters, and that's a young man that, because last year really was kind of a wasted year to some degree with his development, at least in a game setting and practice setting, because he missed a lot of practices. He got in late. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a whole lot of reps in games. Xavier Peters is still a guy very much going through the learning process, even though he's been here now for just shy of a year. So, as a whole, that group has some growing to do, some work to do, but I thought there were positives with Kando, with Romson. I love Dennis Briggs as a player. I think he brings a little bit different look at that position at the defensive end spot. Um, Xavier Peters is somewhat your wild card. On the interior, Marvin Wilson and Corey Durden are going to hold it down, and you need the next level to elevate with Robert Cooper being sort of a specialist, big body, you know, zero-tech type guy at times. So, the the interesting development, I guess the one that, that I'm curious in, from yesterday when you're talking about the defensive front was some of the formation that we saw. Um, and that was something that kind of resembled like a three, three man front three, four type of look with, uh, with Janarius Robinson, uh, usually like starting as a stand-up linebacker, almost at the level with the other two inside linebackers and then rotating down to the defensive end spot pre-snap. Uh, almost like, a almost like remember when the, uh, the arena league, uh, the wide receivers would, would get a running head start uh, to the line of scrimmage. It was kind of like that. So that was something that cer certainly new. Uh, it kind of makes sense, I guess, to have some elements of that. Now, now the linebackers were still practicing in what was the traditional you know, formation we saw last year, two inside linebackers and a star linebacker. But the 3-4 the concept was certainly there, and that was something that we didn't see any of last year, which is that, that defensive end starting as standing up and, and not being down in the traditional as a two-point stance. I, I'm interested with the 3-4 look with using primarily J-Rob and Xavier Peters as a stand-up. If it's just a matter of those guys are kind of more comfortable in that situation. I find J-Rob to be a guy that 
he does a better job when he's kind of able to line up and just go than having to, you know, get out of the snap position, get up, you know, bend, get going. Like, if you kind of give him the running start as mm-hmm. that posi- at that position, I think it will play into his hands better as a player. And Xavier Peters is clearly naturally built to be kind of a stand-up D-end outside linebacker hybrid. I mean, it, when he was recruited, a lot of discussion was, is he a D-end or a linebacker? And the truth is, he's both, but he's more of like that Jack or Buck type then you're, you know, stick your hand in the dirt and go kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And from a personnel standpoint, I just think it makes more sense what FSU was showing, with what they were doing with those guys yesterday. Now, it doesn't magically turn them into something drastically better. I think it just plays to their strengths better. And it didn't seem like it was a wholesale change with everything else they were doing up front and, and that the, with the other linebackers. I think that's the, the point I want to try to make is it wasn't this completely different look. It was just in that one instance, the linebacker kind of moving down, like you said, kind of giving him that running head start. Uh, that was the only noticeable difference on day one that, that I could discern there. Uh, but it's still noteworthy because it, it, the optics, like it just looks different. But I think the end result is he's getting in the same spot and playing the same type of technique he was before. Maybe it just opens up a little bit more options with what you can do in terms of disguising a blitz or timing up something or dropping someone into coverage. It maybe gives you a little bit more versatility, but I don't think it changes what they're doing with the linebackers on the next level or anything else yeah. like that. I think it's available to you in part, too, because you have strong side defensive end body types mm-hmm. currently on the roster and coming into the roster that fit what you would kind of show with a 3-4 look. Yeah, it, it you know, a guy like Dennis Briggs certainly is that type. Curtis sure. Fan, who's coming in, is certainly that type. A guy like Corey Durden, while he's more of an interior type, he could get away with being a strong side type too. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is to kind of mitigate not having a guy like Brian Burns so you can just yeah. line up and say, go get him. It, um, it's playing to your strengths, playing to what your roster is and understanding what you can be the best at with what you have instead of just trying to be something and plug people in, which I think is a smart move on their part. And keeping with that theme, I think that's something – I wrote about it last night. I got inspired to do so just as I was kind of reflecting on the day and what I liked and, and what I saw, what I didn't like. But the one thing that I I did think that was really, really sensible was some of the moves they made on the next level, uh, and, and that plays two, two strengths while kind of hiding weaknesses. And, and that's three different personnel changes and – that's one moving Jaden Lars would be from this hybrid star linebacker safety spot to the traditional boundary safety. Uh, he was limited. I think he's coming off of a shoulder deal. Uh, remember that shoulder was an issue for him last season. He played hurt. Um, so he seemed kind of limited, but he'll be at boundary safety more than likely throughout the spring. They'll experiment with him there. Number two was moving Hampson Nasraldine from that boundary safety role to star. Basically those two guys flip. Uh, and then three was Levante Taylor getting some looks at the field safety spot. And then, all of that, looking at it as a complete whole, what that does is I think it, it hides some weaknesses while maximizing and highlighting strengths. So this is on paper. This is all in theory. But, for instance, Samson Nazaruddin is a guy who had 91 tackles last year. Uh, his PFF grade against the run was in the, eight, I think, 88, which is at an elite level. His coverage grade was 60, which is a below average level. He's someone that doesn't look super comfortable you know, flipping the hips and covering a lot of space in the back end, but is really comfortable moving up forward and attacking. Put him up at star where he's already up front, uh, naturally that makes sense. Whereas Woodby, I think he did very, very well as a star, uh, as a true freshman, but he wants to play safety. That's where he's most comfortable. I think the simplest view of it is 
There were times last year where we would talk about, you know, they could make the linebackers better by moving Hampson down there, but that would hurt them at safety. But Jaden's a guy who's built very much like a safety who's played that in his past and mm-hmm. could play it. And I'm of the opinion Jaden's probably equally as good at either spot. I don't think it's a drastic difference for him at safety versus linebacker. He wants to play safety, or I think he's more comfortable. I think he would prefer to play yeah. safety, yes, I agree with that. Um but if you're making that switch, if you're moving personnel, I think it's a very smart move. I think you're making one guy a much better player while the other guy's not having any fall off mm-hmm. and probably playing a spot he prefers more in would be to example. Yeah. So I think it's a good thing. The other thing I noticed that linebacker, Jaleel McCray fits. Yes. He definitely looks the part. Um, that's a position where just from a physical body type, they need to upgrade. And I think we've seen that with McCray. I think we'll see that with Deloach and with uh, – Kevon Glenn, when they both arrive, I think it's a position that's, you know, working its way back to more what it should look like. Uh, I didn't see anything from Adonis Thomas that made me think he's going to be any different than what he was last year. And then Emmett Rice had the most massive club I've ever seen on a human being who actually has a hand <laughs> yesterday. It looks like in Game of Thrones with Jamie Lannister's hand where they put on, like, the fake one. And as you can tell, like, their actor has a hand on underneath because it's just sticking out further. It was like that, like the club basically extended probably his wingspan by an extra like three or four inches. I was just waiting for Emmett to shoot off the edge and clothesline somebody because he just <laughs> looked like he was made to clothesline people with that big out, the big old uh, caster on the arm. He was but, running around full full go yesterday. Yeah. There was no contact. And Emmett's a guy around. that they like. They think highly of him. They think he can be something. Last year, he obviously really wasn't able to be because of injuries and such and just didn't get a ton of burn. And they decide to, to shut him down for that Florida game. But I think he's a guy that if we're looking for guys who will bring more to the table than they did last season, I think he's one of those mm-hmm. that you can go ahead and circle. I agree. I, I'm excited about him. I don't want to overhype him because he's still smaller. He's not a huge guy. He's not going to be an elite linebacker. But I do think uh, – he can play in space. He's physical. He he looks like what you want from that position in terms of like playing it the right way. You um, know who I want to overhype? Who? Akeem Dent. That cat's ready to play. Day one. Yes. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. I don't know if it's corner. I don't know if it's Zeus. I don't know exactly where it is, but he's ready he's, to play. And that's, that's what they brought him in for. That's what they thought he was going to be. Uh, the way he breaks in the ball, the way he sees the ball, even when he gives up a, a completion in one-on-one, like he's in position. He's not getting – you know not giving up a ton of space or something like that, and he's playing the ball well. Like He's forcing a perfect pass and a good catch. Yeah, That's really encouraging. He breaks on it smoothly. Yeah, man, I think he's going to be good. If you're trying to play five DBs, I know that Stanford Samuels, Asante Samuel, Akeem Dent, and Lars Woodby need to be on the field. Mm -hmm. The fifth one, go ahead. You can figure that out. But I know those other four, they need to be on the field. I don't know if Levante Taylor, Cyrus Fagan, Carlos Becker, who did practice yesterday, does exist still. Um, and actually looked healthy and moved around well. Becker's unique because he's very long, very big. He, If you're playing a team that has a really good big outside receiver who wins balls in the air, Carlos Becker is sort of an equalizer from lacked, a body type. They liked that last year, They especially in the red zone. Yeah. They, got, they got victimized a few times. And then Kyle players. Myers is an DB um, to kind of go through the depth chart of who we saw. Raymond Woody's an safety type, mm-hmm. could also play linebacker if needed, but he was working at safety yesterday. So you have plenty of options. But those other four guys, the first four I mentioned, Samuel, Samuel, Dent, and uh, Lars Woodby, to me they're like the no doubt that your secondary is at its best when those four are on the field. And that's with the variable of Levante Taylor. We have to see how he comes back from the back injury last year. He clearly wasn't anything that he was the previous year as a sophomore. This is the guy who thought he was – you know, in route to being an NFL draft pick, uh, ends up hurting his back in preseason camp. They keep that under wraps. He plays injured, just clearly not comfortable, loses confidence. Uh, 
and now they have him at, at field safety. Now that's a position that Akeem Dent was working at too yesterday, so that's going to uh, bear monitoring. But you know, I think, one, it opens up room for Stanford Samuels and Asante Samuel to work at cornerback. I think right now those are the two guys you want there. Uh, not putting Stanford Samuels at field safety, I think it's an encouraging sign. They moved off that experiment. He's not great there. He's, He's very good at cornerback, corner. clearly. Very, very, very good cornerback. Uh, making him... A, a very good cornerback versus an average safety, it's a no-brainer. So if you can get something out of LT or Akeem Dent in that, in that Zeus role, that'd be huge. But I, I think taking Taylor and putting him in space where his coverage ability... I think he's a nickel. And that may be kind of what they are using. I mean, if he, if he gets back to his old, old self and he's an island corner, then sure, mm-hmm. let's he can have it back. But with what he was last year... And the fact that we're not sure if he's yet back to that optimal level that he once was, I think nickel would be an interesting opportunity. I think if you put enough talent around him, too, in the secondary, he can flourish at that spot because he's allowed to play a little more fast and loose and a little less, you know, live on the hip and play one-on-one in tight spaces when the ball is in the air. Basically, he's allowed to look at the ball and come downhill on it instead of having to stay on a guy's hip and try to compete with guys who have them by five inches and 30 pounds at times. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, it's not a knock on him. I think he could flourish at that spot and give him a really nice group of five out there at the DB spot. Well, he put out a picture yesterday, maybe a couple pictures, at least one of Honey Badger, of Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, who, uh, who is in the NFL of safety, who also will play in the nickel too and kind of move all over the place. Like, I think that's what he's modeling his game after. If they get Honey Badger out of him, then... I'm going to throw some doubt at LT because he seems to feast on it and usually be better for it. So I'll just throw a little his way, let him consume it, and hopefully he comes back stronger and better. That's Chris Nee saying that right now. I got no problem. I like, I like Levante. One, he's a straight shooter, and two, I know he works his backside off. And I know last year was miserable experience for him. But he's a guy that, you know, a good LT is a really good football player. Mm-hmm. We just didn't see it last year. All right. Um all right, so that's the team in the nutshell. I'm not going to talk about special teams. I'm not giving that to Rest you. Rest in I'm peace, Bob. To Bob. Yeah, R.I.P. Bob. Uh, real quick, let's talk about the David Kelly uh, deal because that was basically yeah. put to rest yesterday. I'll, I'll, I'll kick that over to you. But, you guys, NCAA doesn't make sense sometimes. I don't know what else. Yeah, the IAWP rule, we spoke about it a good bit on a previous pod. It's very much left for interpretation. And the way they interpret it with the case of David Kelly is that he's not allowed to move off the field without guys being ineligible, that he was a heavy recruiting personality so for like a guy like Trey Harrison, Harrison yeah. is one of the first ones you can circle so therefore because that was denied the waiver was denied and according to Willie Taggart the pursuit of an appeal of it is basically dead in the water not going to happen David Kelly is your 10th on-field coach who is not technically on the field he is by title the recruiting coordinator and in the capacity we saw him yesterday, it was as a general observer. I saw him taking the O-line a good bit, just kind of watching him from a distance. Didn't see him very much involved as far as saying anything, just more so kind of it looked like he was taking mental notes, watching as guys worked, watching as Randy worked with him. I didn't see him or Randy speak during the time he was over there with them. And I know he wandered around the field and was with other segments, but I never saw him truly involved with a segment as far as like hands-on coaching, barking, talking. And DK is one of those guys when he's talking on a football field, you usually hear him. Yes. It was that's another area where it was a drastic removal from one year ago to yesterday. Is that raspy was that you voice. didn't hear that voice like yeah. you did a year ago. So it's a position they're in. We could debate till we're blue in the face on whether it's good or bad for FSU. I think it's a unique opportunity for FSU that they need to capitalize on. 
it's you know it neglects the on-field product to a slight degree because you are down a man compared to others having 10 on the field but it provides an opportunity for you to have a guy who can be centrally focused on recruiting at all times if you have a kid on campus he can be attached to their hip talking to him dealing with him at all times during the practice explaining what's happening in the practice in depth it's like a more well-versed guardian gold guide when they're on the campus he's also got the ability to leave the campus and go see kids he can evaluate film he can be kind of the uh the third hand for every guy when they're recruiting somebody if they need a little help or it's a guy that needs a little more attention at that moment it provides an opportunity barton simmons national director of recruiting for uh 247 he or i'm sorry national director of scouting for 247 he chimed in and i forget the word he used but people took exception to it uh, i think he called it a blunder to some degree it is a blunder and that's not me knocking it or this trying to take a shot it's they, not the intended they, purpose of how this was supposed to play out right but this is this is the situation they live with and now it's about making the best of it and barton commented that some schools have flirted with the idea of literally going about their business in this manner as fsu now is forced to because of the denial of waiver and seeing how it plays out. So FSU is kind of a test trial. I think it comes down to, you know, as long as he shows returns in recruiting, which is something that DK is very good at, it's a positive, and you build on it, and, you you know, he plays out his gear. He can move off the field to a different role, and they can hire another coach, and there's no IWP issues, and we're, you know, where they want to be with their coaching staff. But, you know, it is what you got to deal with. You roll with the punches. You make the best of it. I think it's an interesting test study. I just think it's not something to mope about and cry about. And, you know, people complain, oh, we only have nine coaches. Well, there's a lot of other people on that football field who help with coaching in the practice setting, who help with coaching in games. There's GAs, there's quality control coaches, there's people that are like general observers that know what they're talking about. There's guys like Mario Edwards who help with the secondary. You know, Mark Snyder, well, he moved to special teams. He's helping with linebackers. He'll help with DNs. Every coach has kind of their secondary guy that they work with. Those guys are usually well-versed. FSU does a good job of fostering talent of that sort and moving them on. You know, Kirby Smart was a guy that cut his teeth doing that many moons ago. Now he's a great head coach. That's obviously the best-case example. But FSU's had a lot of good examples through the years. George Helo's a guy that worked for Jeremy Pruitt. Helo's now an on-field coach, I believe, at Colorado State at last check. So they've had plenty of good examples in the past. And I think they currently have a fairly good amount of talent working with the guys that are on the field. You're going to lean on those guys. You allow those guys who work with you day in, day out, breaking down film, working in the rooms, talking to the players, working with you in a practice setting, to have somewhat of a voice to be at least reinforcement and help you along in a practice setting. And that's how you make up for being shorthanded from a 10-coach on-field perspective. And this is me being a little snarky, but they some truth to it, they were – they were essentially a man down last year anyways uh, with Alonzo Hampton. Proved to not be very good at his one primary job as a special teams coordinator. So, and he wasn't great as a recruiter either. So, so in a sense, and I'm not putting silver lining on it because this isn't what Florida State wanted uh, with, with the coaching staff. And it obviously would be better to have, you know, a, a, a tenth full-time assistant out there coaching. Uh, but, you know, they <laughs> – they had essentially nine guys uh, as the assistants last year, too, if, if you're counting Alonzo Hampton not coordinating the special teams very well, which was his job title. Yep. Okay. All right. So <laughs> uh, there is something. I'm intri- letting sleeping dogs lay, buddy. Uh, there is something intriguing to see in David Kelly uh, being the, the roving recruiter and, and evaluator. And, 
Uh, that's a role that su- suits him well. I know he wanted to stay on coaching. Um, yeah, it's something he got the bug last year from, from coaching on the field, and clearly well, you could tell he had a lot of energy and was very happy to be back out there. So he could still be out there and still help and still oversee, and I think he'll be a really good uh, you know, second set of eyes for Willie Taggart, which is something you could see him doing in you know dur- during during summer practice or sorry summer uh, summer recruit camps you can see him doing it there where he's literally Willie Taggart's right hand man walking around and pointing out guys to to coach Taggart and stuff like that so uh, he still has value there it's not an ideal situation I, I don't know what else to say on that matter the NCAA is going to do what the NCAA does sometimes it's a dumb 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 rule did I say it's dumb? Because it's dumb. It screws talented people out of being coaches, and it screws schools by putting them in bad situations. I understand the intended purpose is not to allow a school to purchase a person to purchase a kid. I completely get that. Make it a specific definition with defined terms. Don't leave it open for interpretation where you're stuck in stupid situations like this where you have to pursue a waiver and a school gets screwed and it's put in a bad situation. It's not solely because it's screwing FSU. It's screwing a lot of people across the country, especially high school coaches and people of that sort who are actually qualified to coach at the college level who are being held back because they have a damn good player on their roster and the school that they have the best relationship happens to be the school that kid goes to. So therefore, they can't go to that school and coach in any capacity other than being one of the 10 on-field coaches. It's dumb. Well said. So, I hate the NCAA. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. I, I like basketball. Really clear. I like basketball, you do. I like cannolis, and I hate the NCAA. The new podcast metrics are showing that when you start talking about basketball, people start checking out. So, Pack the tuck. <laughs> All right. So we're at 45 minutes here. I think we recapped the spring adequately well. I'm not sure there's anything else you want to touch on with spring practice. Nah, man, it was just one practice. We got 14 more, so like, I don't want to, I don't want to go making hot takes our us, you know, off of one practice. No, nope, I'll put it this way: things I want to watch over the rest of the spring. I want to see how the O line comes together, how those the personnel groupings come about with Clements. I want to see if they go more kind of five guards across to some degree instead of tackles. I want to see how the whole three four look. We're seeing a bit on defense works out. Uh, obviously, the move of Nas and Jaden. I want to see how those two kind of play out. And offensively, you know, with Jordan Travis, I want to see, was it one day or is that who he is? And with the receivers, I want to see that group has, have a couple more alphas kind of emerge. All right. So that'll finish it up for our spring recap of day one. Uh, we're not going to have as quite a detailed reviews for every single spring practice. One, because that would be a little exhausting, I think, even for the people who really love FSU football. And two, uh, we won't, we'll only have one more, and that's on Wednesday, one more full uh, practice after that's going to be scaled down a little bit we'll maybe get like a 15 20 minute viewing session and, and that'll be about it so. yeah we'll probably do one heavy on spring practice when they come back from spring break mm-hmm. and then obviously one around the time of the garden gold game whether it's right before or right after it where we go really heavy and intense on spring not just kind of an update of what we've seen in recent days or we've heard or we've talked to the coaches about or the players about yeah so we'll we'll have that going on we'll have uh there's a junior day coming up this weekend yep saturday is a junior day first saturday spring practice so they're mainly bringing the guys in so they can kind of sit in practice setting Mm -hmm. so we'll have something uh with you and josh uh, hopefully or at least josh talking about it and if you want to be a part of it too uh we'll do a do a recap or a preview of that Uh, then i'm going up to raleigh for a bachelor party so i'll see you guys like in 72 hours yeah, and next week I'll be at the ACC basketball tournament. Stop talking about basketball. Basketball, All right, one, basketball, basketball. One last, one, one last thing before we go, and that's uh, we've made the full transition from SoundCloud to Megaphone for our uh, podcast host. Some of you have had a little bit of issues or a lot, 
a lot of issues in, in getting the transfer over, but I think uh, all the iTunes subscribers, you should be good to go now, and I haven't heard any complaints there. Google Podcast was the only one that was a little bit slow. We talked to people from Google. It takes about a week or two for that transition to go through. If this podcast, for whatever reason, isn't showing up in your phone, uh, what you can do is unsubscribe and resubscribe, and that's worked for people so far. Uh, I was hoping that the problem would kind of solve itself and, and figure itself out, and it sounds like some people it has, but it hasn't been the case for everyone based on the last uh, podcast uh, downloads. It looks like we're up to our normal pace, so thank you for bearing with us with that transition. Uh, it's cool stuff is happening with uh, terms of technology. We have new microphones today. I don't know if it makes it sound better or worse. I think a less clear microphone for my uh, nasally set of voice is, is probably a good thing. But all right, guys, so thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with us as we made the change for podcast uh, platforms there. Thank you for all who have subscribed. Please keep on doing so on iTunes and getting rating us five-star reviews does help the, the podcast grow in, uh, in popularity. So with Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. With <laughs> Chris is dropping his phone because he's not paying attention anymore. This is the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Stick in the landing.